0: hey this is kate nocera and you're listening to no one knows anything the politics podcast from buzzfeed news every week we talk about everything insane in u.s politics and we break down a few stories to try and make sense of things
1: I'm Hayes Brown, Deputy World Editor at BuzzFeed News, filling in for Charlie Warzel this week.
0: Who lives in Austin, I think. We are never seeing him again. We're never seeing Charlie again. Goodbye, Charlie. So, Hayes, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Uh, First and foremost, our new trade war with Canada. Uh, We have some beef over dairy. We're going to talk about just how (laughs) serious the North Korea situation is, no laughing matter. And the White House Correspondents Dinner, and why. Why? Just why? Yeah,
0: Yeah, I know. Finally it's eleven AM on Thursday in New York City, and I'm letting you know that because by the time you listen to this, who knows what could have happened. For our first topic today, we're gonna talk about Canada. And joining us is Paul McLeod, who covers Capitol Hill for BuzzFeed News, but in a former life was a Canadian political reporter, is still a Canadian though, so he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna talk to us. Hey Paul.
2: Hey, how's it going?
0: Good. Can you just Tell us what we're talking about today.
2: Yeah, a possible trade war. We've got uh, maybe the the warmest of cold wars coming up with our, <laughs> our good cross-border friends. Um, yeah, I, I can tell you Canada did not see this coming. Everything seemed like it was going so well. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau came down uh, in January, I believe it was. And they had that really friendly photo op with Trump, and Trump made it sound like everything's going to be good. I'm more concerned about Russia. And Canada just breathed a sigh of relief and (laughs) went back to their business doing (laughs) Canadian stuff. And now, this week, everything has changed. Uh, Trump is attacking Canada on multiple different trade fronts now. Uh, Basically, three pronged
0: trade war.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically, everything except maple syrup. And now we're looking at reopening NAFTA, which would be just, I mean, almost incomprehensibly uh, consequential for the economies of Canada and America and, of course, Mexico. So while the most recent update is Trump says he's not yet going to sign an executive order to open up NAFTA, that is basically the brinkmanship that's going on he is he is sitting at the poker table like threatening to throw his chips all into the middle
0: okay so you know i i am a canadian and american citizen so Mm -hmm. i also am aware that there's something going on with dairy but my (laughs) knowledge of canada and milk is just that milk comes in a bag wait what in canada
2: it's true you can get uh bag milk it's very popular in canada
0: yeah, every just Canadian household has like a little pitcher, and you put your little bag of milk
2: no. in the
1: pitcher. No, yeah, you Canada, gotta, you got
2: to cut. You got to cut the corner You're of the just bag like, and if snip you cut the tip. it tip. If you cut it we, too big, it's really hard to pour. We yeah. have the technology, Canada. What are you doing? Eh, not interested.
0: Anyway, that's um, that's what I know about Canadian milk, and it also tastes very good. I don't know why Canadian butter and Canadian milk are delicious. That um, would
2: be the public subsidizing makes it taste better. <laughs> <laughs> So could you
0: explain to me, like, what's going on with the dairy prong of this?
2: Sure. Yeah. So Canada has a very, uh, very uh, protectionist dairy system. It's called supply management. Essentially, Canadians pay artificially high prices for milk, cheese, and some other uh, related products. And uh, very few, very limited foreign imports are, are allowed into Canada this props up the local dairy industry and is extremely lucrative for the 12,000 or so dairy farms across the country and they in turn spend a lot of money lobbying the government to keep that very very lucrative system
0: what does that have to do with us though like okay. like <laughs> why can't the canadians just enjoy their dairy products like like i i love canadian cheese and i love canadian butter and when i go there i like to eat it and spend my like i just don't understand what trump has sure. to do
2: with this right well because it's it's blocking any kind of american imports right ah. so yeah so all, I, there's a there's a small percentage but like a, for the most part american products are banned from being sold in canada so trump wants to change that and basically wants to blow up Canada's protectionist dairy system, which makes a lot of sense if you're if you're America, mm. but if you're Canada, this is an extremely uh, <laughs> aggressive thing to do uh, because you know they don't want to blow up their system. So there's this there's also the uh, softwood lumber dispute. This has been going on for decades, and there was a deal that expired under the Obama administration. Obama, in the dying days last year or so, he decided he didn't really want to strike up a new deal and annoy the local softwood lumber producers in America. So he just said, ah, I'll just leave it to the next administration. I <laughs> Good call. Thinking Strong that would be, choice. Yeah, I'm not sure he expected it to be the Trump administration. So Trump comes in, and there's no agreement. There's no deal. He can do whatever he wants. And so he starts leveling these major tariffs. And the question now is, is Canada going to retaliate with tariffs of their own? Are they going to... I mean, it does this keep escalating to the point where we're in an actual trade and, war? And we get
0: we're, like $300 maple syrup.
2: That's the darkest timeline. <laughs> the Amber gold. The yeah.
1: same price as real gold. <laughs> I, you mentioned softwood lumber it, right. a second ago. What is that the second prong of this yeah. burgeoning trade war?
2: Yeah, exactly. So this this has been a long-standing feud between the two countries and... In Canada, uh, parents will raise their children, telling them the fables of the software lumber <laughs> dispute with America, the dark uh, times. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of complicated, but to, bo- to just bring it down the to the beams for
0: our cottages. <laughs> just, you no, know. you
2: joke, but that might happen now. Like, I know there could be a shortage. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, the, the core of the dispute is in Canada, most lumber is harvested from public land called crown land, and uh, the provinces charge certain rates, whereas in America, it's basically harvested from private suppliers. Americans have to, American harvesters have to pay a little bit more. They allege that this is a backdoor subsidy that... The, the Canadian provinces are charging artificially low rates for Canadian lumber, and this is unfair. So, we're going to slap some tariffs on it.
0: Think, I think my, yeah, my, my favorite thing that, that Trump said this week was like, the Canadians seem so nice. So nice. So nice, but they've been hoodwinking us. Like, I, that's not a direct quote, <laughs> been obviously, but
1: outsmarting American politicians. They've been outsmarting
0: much like <laughs> us. Much China. Yeah. Just like with your nice accents and your good cheese. <laughs> is that what you've been doing, Paul?
2: Yeah, this has been an interesting uh line of, of rhetoric from Trump that American negotiators are just the dumbest in the world. <laughs> Every deal America's has negotiated has ended with uh you guys getting suckered by the, you know, really savvy Canadians or Chinese or whoever is on the other end of it. Uh I mean, no, this has been a pretty pretty mutually beneficial relationship. There is an insane um, insane amount of uh of trade that goes over the border. Canada uh, imports more American goods than any other country. They export more goods to America than any country other than China. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars that are at stake here. And also, I mean, if Trump really wants to ratchet this up, it's not just the Canadians who are going to be mad. Right. It's also a lot of huge domestic companies like Walmart. I mean, there was a conservative conference a month or so ago that I was at, and you had these kids walking around with pins and stuff of like, make, make things cheaper. And I was like, well, what is going on? It turned out it was like Walmart fronted group is like lobbying all these conservatives are like, don't touch the border stuff. We want a free trade. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it, 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 Trump is going to is basically turning away from like Republican orthodoxy from the last several decades of free trade if he really wants to start this trade war or with Canada.
1: So that's two prongs of this trade war. What's the third one? NAFTA, right?
2: The third one, which I'm going to uh, just now title the nuclear option because it sounds more dramatic, would be, yeah, reopening the North American Free Trade Agreement. I mean, this would be just uh, such a huge deal. Uh, basically, the price of countless goods uh, in America and Canada are determined on because of NAFTA. I mean, it's been the most successful and impactful trade relationship probably the world has ever seen. So... Now, if Trump opens up that, all bets are off. You are going to have this. Every lobby group, every industry is going to be fighting for you know their own protections or their own access. I mean, it is going to be a huge, huge mess.
0: And this, he he said that he got on that he like had some phone calls and was like, oh no, we're just going to renegotiate. I'm not going to end it. We're just going to renegotiate. So he's like the best deal maker. Mm. But this also affects things that come in and out of Mexico too,
2: right yeah mexico's a yeah. third partner in it i mean yeah someone uh tweeted i can't remember who that donald trump is now the girlfriend who threatens to break up with you all the time because that's <laughs> sort of what it's at we just keep getting these these like oh Trump's he's going to do it he's going to he's going to reopen after and then there's a phone call between him and justin trudeau and this okay all right everything's everything's fine for now but maybe tomorrow so <laughs> I mean, certainly for Canada and Mexico, you're just sort of sitting at the edge of your seat wondering, what is happening? Are we, uh, we going to have our entire economies upended by this guy or, or not? It seems to change every few hours.
0: All right, Paul, uh, thanks so much. Next time I, I go up north, I'll try and smuggle in some bagged milk for you.
2: Yeah, this could be a really lucrative uh, source of revenue for us, actually. <laughs>
1: milk it for all it's worth. Uh, yeah. oh, oh, boo. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> all
0: right, bye. <laughs> All right, moving on from dairy war to perhaps actual war. Here's a real headline that ran in the Seattle Times: Seattle, a target for North Korea nukes? Breathe, insiders say. So he's Brown, <laughs> <laughs> should we breathe?
1: Yes, okay. but yes, but for now. All right. So here's the deal with all of this. Uh, yes, we should breathe for right now because basic fact is. North Korea, while it does have nuclear weapons, can't get to us with them right now. Currently. 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 But, and this is why we've been talking about it so much over the last couple of weeks, they're trying real, real hard to make it so that they actually can someday. So what we've been seeing a lot of is an uptick in the number of missile tests that they've been running. They've been shooting off rockets left and right, one every couple of days, basically, it feels like. Into
0: the into the ocean. Into the
1: ocean, yes. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't hit anything, which is good, but they take the data that comes back to them when they explode in midair or whatever and say, okay, how did we go wrong this time? And they change stuff for the next right. time. And so each one of these missile tests means they're getting a little bit better at what They're doing and uh, coming closer to their goals, which is to develop an intercontinental ballistic missile, a.k.a. one that shoots out into the atmosphere and comes back down and lands on, ideally, for them,
0: us. So, like, what is the concern right now, then? Because I feel like we've spent a lot of time in the last, you know, decade, 15 years, Mm -hmm. being very worried about North Korea. Things have been ratcheted up a little bit they can't hit us now but what is like the m- the immediate
1: concern? right so so what i just said was like the medium to long term concern the immediate concern is that while we're far away south korea is right there across the dmz and japan right. is just across the sea so while they're shooting these missiles into the ocean trying to get an icbm they're still perfecting what their... What is an ICBM? Intercontinental Ballistic Missile. Okay, thank the you. The up-into-space one. I gotcha. <laughs> and, but they have these short and medium-range ones that can hit Japan and South Korea right now, and they're getting really good at those. South
0: Korea and Japan, who are our close allies.
1: Our Asia BFFs, right. who we are ride-or-die with, if they get hit by something, we have to step in and try and set things right, which is a problem for uh, considering the fact that... Uh, we've been struggling with how to actually respond to North Korea since basically 1950. And so since then, we have like had no good way of actually uh, making them less nuts. Right. The Trump administration has been trying to handle this whole North Korea situation, mostly through ratcheted up rhetoric. So they've been very uh, loud about uh, North Korea and the threat that it poses. And, We said a few weeks ago that we are going to send an aircraft carrier group, the USS Carl Vinson Carrier Group, to South Korea to help shore up their defenses and be like, hey, guys, we got your back. And there was this whole big to do in the White House. Uh, Sean Spicer at the podium talked about how there were ships steaming towards uh, South Korea right now, except they were. Absolutely not, steaming towards South Korea <laughs> in that moment. Going
0: to Indonesia.
1: Yeah, so they they were going to like a previously scheduled thing that they had to do, like a training exercise right. in Indonesia. The thought was from the Pentagon, apparently, oh they'll pop down there, and then once they're done with that, then full steam ahead to South Korea to help. Be like, yeah, we got your back, guys. Except no one seemed to tell the White House about the training exercise, and so somewhere in there, the communication got lost. So. They're on their way there now. They're going there now. They're going there now.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think that, like, it's hard for me as casual Northeast observer of this stuff <laughs> to know, like, what has changed, right? And mm-hmm. I think that there was a very clear line for someone like me when Mike Pence, the vice president, was in South Korea mm-hmm. and he went to the demilitarized zone. And stared down Kim Jong-un, not like, like actually, but it wasn't like, actually you know, there guys, but like, yes. you know <laughs> stare, stared out into North Korea and then said, like, the era of strategic patience is over.
1: Strategic patience was the idea that, OK, North Korea has a nuke. We're going to put sanctions on them we're just going to basically wait them out right. and hope that we manage to talk them into not to giving up their nuclear program before they decide to do something nuts with it. So the Trump administration said, we're done with that. We're going to figure out something to do. The problem is that successive administrations have been trying to figure out that something for over half a century, and no one has cracked that code yet of what level of diplomatic pressure and sanctions and military threats is the right combo to really get North Korea to change its actions. Because North Korea... While So so we talked about in the last segment how Trump has said how every other country's negotiators have managed to completely whip over uh, the American negotiators. I feel like North Korea is one of those situations where he'd actually be right to say that. North Korea is very good at this at this point, at trying to get the most out of the U.S. and its international allies in return for not so much.
0: The the Trump administration, to be clear, is definitely trying to show that they— are not only taking this seriously, mm-hmm. but you know, they are talking about it. They uh this week they put all they put all of the senators in oh, the United God. States Senate onto um like a tour bus that you would put students on. And the bus, the wheels on the bus went down Pennsylvania Avenue and they took a little field trip to the White House. And, <laughs> and it was just like such a funny scene to like see that like do you have your buddy do you have your
1: sack lunch with you (laughs) guys
0: and but like they didn't i mean to be to be clear like this was a a a a show right like we are we are taking this so seriously that Mm -hmm. you guys all have to get on a bus and come to us and we will talk to you about north korea all the senators came back from the meeting and they're like we learned north Korea was." bad.
1: Yeah, they, like, They're scary. Like we know that. Thanks, guys. I don't know why we <laughs>
0: needed to go to the White House, but this is how, this is, you know, part of the sort of optics that mm-hmm. the Trump administration is trying to show that they are not only taking it very seriously, but everyone else uh, in Congress should. So, yeah, so that was the fun that the United States Senate had, <laughs> and I don't think we, we learned anything more, but um, we will be obviously... Keeping
1: an eye on that. <laughs>
0: keeping an eye on... North Korea. So, uh, remember this?
1: Say what you will about, uh, Mr. Trump, he certainly would bring some change to the White
2: House. People think Bin Laden is hiding in the Hindu Kush, but did you know that every day from four to five, he hosts a show on (laughs) C-SPAN?
0: That was from the White House Correspondents' Dinner in 2011. The next night, Obama had announced that Osama bin Laden had been killed. Years later, Donald Trump announced that he was really running for president, and now he really is the president. So we're going to talk a little bit about the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I've never attended any of this.
3: So, because I am very cold,
0: Katherine <laughs> <laughs> Miller, political editor for yes, BuzzFeed News. Yes,
3: that's who I am. Uh, I'm here. <laughs> and I dislike this event.
0: <laughs> and um, it's yeah, it's 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 happening this weekend. This this year is a little different, though. It's a little weird. So, what the White House Correspondents' Dinner is is it's an annual dinner put on by the White House Correspondents' Association, which does important tasks like coordinate the pool, the the protective pool that covers the president at all times. They talk a lot about seating in the briefing room. Uh, <laughs> they do give uh, scholarships to students. And so this dinner originally, you know, it was kind of a, a, a celebration of all of that, but it morphed somewhere along the <laughs> <Yeah>. line.
3: which, <laughs> in-, in the way that in Miss there's a repeating line about how it's a scholarship program. Right. And right. There is a scholarship program. But we would mostly associate this dinner with, like, sort of the, like, Bacchanalia of like <laughs> that's <right>. spring break. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh you know, I the
0: the dinner is gonna be a little bit different this year because Donald Trump announced that he was not going to attend, which is the first time in many years. The president always sort of begrudgingly agrees to do this and they tell funny jokes and there's a in
3: the usually self-deprecate. Some somewhat yeah, self-deprecating. Yeah. There's a lot of self-deprecating that goes on at this event. It's kind of I mean it's a pretty genius move there from trump like in the first place he didn't he he said he was not going to go at all right and that like threw everyone into a tizzy tizzy because would it whoa dinner be ruined will the party be ruined fetch my couch so he he wasn't gonna go in the first place and now he's gonna have a rally in harrisburg pennsylvania Which is a perfect side-by-side. Trump's getting a rally, talking to the people, while journalists are in black tie, drinking. But,
0: you know, sometimes they are, like, historic events. And I think, like, 2011 really does point to that when, you know, the president is in secret having this raid or getting ready to do this raid on Osama bin Laden and then the next night, actually, there was there was discussion. There was background that we learned later that uh, they might have done the raid that <laughs> night, and then he wouldn't have gone there, and that would have raised a lot of questions for like thousands of journalists in the room. And now Catherine is going to. <laughs>
3: There's a specific story, and I think this I think this is, might be where we close. There's a specific story from Mark Levovich's This Town. A few days before the mission, on April 28th, the tiny group of high-level national security principals who knew about the operation was discussing the timing of it in the White House Situation Room. While the raid ultimately happened on Sunday night, Saturday night was first raised as a possibility. But someone pointed out that Obama was scheduled to be at the Correspondents Association dinner that night, and his absence and that of other top administration officials could tip off the journalist-filled room that something was up. Mm. Mm, mm. Yeah. At which point, Hillary Clinton looked up and said simply... Fuck the White House Correspondents dinner <laughs> uh, as, as someone Someone, someone uh, said last year When I tweeted that Like second look at, Second look at Hillary Clinton Let's, <laughs> kick, like, let's kick the tires On Hillary
0: Alright Hayes Catherine Thanks so much For joining me
1: Thank you Thank you
0: No One Knows Anything Is produced by Meg Kramer And Eleanor Kagan the show is edited by Catherine Miller. Production assistance comes from Agharinesh Ashagre and Veronica Dulin. Our music is by Beauty Pill. You can find us on Twitter at Kate No Nocera and at Hayes Brown. Oh, and um, also the government might shut down on Friday, but
2: we don't know.